One night, while listening to all of my demos, I came to the realization that I shouldn't be signed because I didn't have any great songs yet. I was 28 years old and not in love with my songs. James Taylor had written Fire and Rain when he was 18. Jackson Brown wrote These Days when he was only 17. I thought, I'm already 10 years older than these geniuses. It's never going to happen for me, Mark Cohn said in an interview in 2014. Cohn would not end up releasing his first album and hit song until he was 31 in the year 1991. The seeds for his success were sown six years earlier in 1985 when Cohn traveled to a place he'd never been before. Cohn got the idea from reading an interview where James Taylor said he'd overcome his own writer's block through travel. Like many other musicians, Cohn decided to make the trip to Graceland, the mansion once owned by Elvis Presley. Cohn's friend told him that there were two things he must absolutely do while he was in the area. The first was to go to the Full Gospel Tabernacle Church on a Sunday morning to see Reverend Al Green perform his sermon. The second was to visit the Hollywood Cafe in Robinsonville, Mississippi to see Muriel Davis Wilkins play piano. Both of these experiences would end up having a major impact on Cone personally, as well as becoming focal points in his 1991 single. Cone wound up performing with Muriel Wilkins when he visited the cafe and returned to the cafe in 1986 to show Wilkins the songs he had written. Cone recalled that after he'd finished, Wilkins said, You know the one where you mentioned me at the end? That's the best one you got. Wilkins was right. The song hit number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 3 in Canada, number 7 in Ireland, and number 11 in Australia. It has become Mark Cohn's signature song, and the song earned a nomination for Song of the Year at the Grammys in 1992. That's right, we're talking Mark Cohn's Walking in Memphis on Cover Me. Then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis but do really feel the way I feel? That's right. It's Cover Me, the only podcast that talks about famous songs and their many cover versions, compares them against one another to find out which one really feels the way I feel. I'm your host as always, Jake Cressy, joined by my blue co-host, Alex Mildenberger. Alex Mildenberger. Mildenberger. How you doing, man? I am doing A-OK. Uh... In some in a new environment here, um, all alone in this room, alone in my. Do you, do you have an exclusive recording I room? Have now? an exclusive recording room. Well, kind of an office room where my computer lives, and I record in here now. There's some junk everywhere because I'm still unpacking a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's getting set up. It's coming together. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. It's exciting. You got uh obviously you have internet, you're talking to me through it. Yep. Is it Internet's high quality stuff? Yeah, it's got fiber out there. Um yeah, it's a little not as great. We had to use power line adapters, but uh it's going fine. Mm. It, we thought someone at some point, one of the telecom people, said we wouldn't be able to get the good fiber. But it we did, so they were wrong, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so Fuck you, telecom providers. So we just, like, bought it, and they gave it to us. But when we asked about it, they are like, no, 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 no. That's not possible. We can't do it to that location. But then they did, so I don't know. What do you know? Yeah. Exciting stuff, Alex. Alex, we're talking about walking in Memphis this week. We are. Mostly just because it's a song we like, I think. I think that's the reason this week, right? Pretty much. Uh, I don't even, like know it that well like i only know it because there was one time 
I don't. I think it might have even been like our housewarming at the last place we lived mm-hmm. at. You were just like, "Hey, do you know the song Walking in Memphis?" And I was like, "No." And then <laughs> you showed me how to play it on the piano. Yeah, because it's mostly very easy. Yeah, and like that was that was that. Yeah, and I I like I feel like I've heard the song. I had, like in early years had heard the song on the radio like here and there, and you know I was young, so I didn't give a shit about soft rock. Right. And then I listened when I was listening to a podcast, um, all fantasy everything, where they they fantasy draft just like random categories of things in the world. They were fantasy drafting soft rock bangers, and this one came up, and I was like, oh yeah, this song does kind of fucking slap. And so I've just kind of listened to it on and off since then. That's my personal connection to it. Well, right on. Yeah, it's got. Couldn't I, name you a single other Mark Cohn song. Me neither. I I don't know. I, like I don't ever remember having exposure to this song before that one time you mentioned it. So. Mm. So I don't even really well, have a connection. Well, that's fair, Alex. Nonetheless, we're gonna talk about it. Let's just get right into it with some lyrics, baby. Some this lyrics. is essentially an autobiographical song. It's based on his. It's allegedly one hundred percent autobiographical. Oh yes. Which is amazing. Taking a look at the. Wikipedia which is amazing page. considering he talks about seeing ghosts. Yeah. Well, you know, most people see ghosts in uh in Memphis. Part of the part of the atmosphere there. Um, yeah, Alex, let's talk about these lines. So it opens up with "Put on my blue suede shoes, and I boarded the plane. Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain." So already we've got two major through lines that that come up throughout the song. Uh, the blue suede shoes is a reference to the song "Blue Suede Shoes." Mm-hmm. And Originally by Carl Perkins, but made famous yeah, by Elvis Presley. Famously performed by Elvis Presley. Yeah, some um, site I was on when researching this, they're like, it's actually a reference to Carl Perkins. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. This is still a reference to Elvis Presley. <laughs> is Carl Perkins from Memphis? Like, great, but it it's an Elvis Presley reference. Mm-hmm. No, no shade to to Carl Carl Perkins, you said? Carl Perkins. Yeah, Carl Perkins. Carl Perkins. Uh, I, I, I don't know the man, but um, unfortunately, Elvis overshadowed his recording. Yeah, Elvis has a lot more connection to that song he covered than Carl Perkins does. Um, and then Touchdown in the Land of the Delta Blues. That's kind of the more, or slightly more historical uh, part of the song because this is a region where this style of music, this Delta Blues sort of country blues style, developed. Yeah, Over, considered one yeah. of the, if not the oldest style of blues developing in the area around the Mississippi Delta. Right, is like like the beginning of American music. Mm-hmm. Probably more specifically black American music, but I'm not that much of a historian. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it takes place in the middle of the pouring rain, um, I don't know, that just kind of gives it a whole more like pensive, thoughtful looking inward experience um another quote is he says it's not about a a place so much as it is about a spiritual awakening so maybe that rain is sort of symbolic to help us look inwards yeah it's a kind of a pensive song so you get that Mm -hmm. like 
staring out the window in a rainstorm feeling from most of it. So that kind of sets it up for that that atmosphere. Yeah. So then moving forward, the next half of the first verse is W.C. Handy. Won't you look down over me? Yeah, I got a first class ticket, but I'm as blue as a boy can be. Another reference to a, a, an important person in, in music history, W.C. Handy, who... Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, his Wikipedia page says he referred to himself as the father of the blues. So I don't know if he's like widely considered the father of the blues, but he definitely has like a lot of, or he was an important figure in the early mm-hmm. sort of Delta blues music. Yeah, and uh, uh, also importantly, he wrote the song Beale Street Blues. Ah. Beale Street is in... Uh... In Memphis. In Memphis, which will come up again in uh, yeah. just a flute, a flute, a few lines. Yeah. Now, Alex, I believe the first time you heard this, you pointed out that WC in uh, in like European cultures, like the UK, is uh, like is, a bathroom. Is it like, a water closet? closet? I thought it was water closet, but yeah. Water closet. That's what it is. And uh, yeah, a WC handy sounds <laughs> like a bathroom hand job. Did I say that? Oh. Uh. <laughs> Am I am I funny sometimes? Is that funny? You are sometimes funny. Oh Alex. man, that's great. I forgot about that. Uh, I never forget. Oh man, how did I not think of that again? Oh well. Anyway, so that's WC Handy, our uh, uh, bathroom handjob guy. Yeah, but also important historical figure. Blues. Um, first class ticket. Yeah, that's so the nice traveling. part of the plane. In style, he's traveling in a nice part, but inside he is, and this uh, connects to the rain as well, pathetic fallacy, he is blue. He took this trip at a time when he was, you know, not in love with what he was doing. He was uh, trying to find himself, kind of. He wasn't feeling good, so he's as blue as a boy can be. Right, and of course, blue again, which is the musical genre, the blues. Um, Maybe Mm -hmm. less of a strong connection, but... He does feel a connection to music, even though he's not feeling, or he's feeling like he, he needs some help. That's kind of part mm-hmm. of who he is. That's why W.C. Handy's looking over him as the right. father of blues. He's saying, I, like, I am traveling in style. I have a first-class ticket. But perhaps blue is not sad, but rather, like, I, I'm, I have the blues at heart. Got the music in him. I, 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 mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, yeah, so the, like, general attitude, like I said, very pensive, but there's also kind of this, like, like reverence, um, mm-hmm. which comes up, I'd say, more in the, in the next couple verses. Yeah, so then we get to the, the chorus, which he, he, you know, tells us more explicitly where he is. He says, then I'm walking in Memphis. I was walking with my feet 10 feet off a of beal, walking in Memphis, but do I really feel the way I feel? So there's Beale Street again. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. a place. Um, I don't fully know the significance of it. Uh, it's a music street. It's a street so kind of music similar to yeah. Inglewood in Calgary. So that'd be like the, venues uh, and stuff. Yeah, they got the music mile there. So uh, there, if you go to the Beale Street Wikipedia page, they got Hard Rock Cafe, Blue City Cafe in the Bandbox, Blue City General Store, BB King's Blues Club, Memphis Music Club 152. There's all of these blues music places. It's just a fucking stretch of them. All right, that's where the music is. It's on Beale Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also, walking to this feet, 10 feet. to feet a lot there. 
twice. Yeah, uh, <laughs> feet, he specifies feet. exactly how many feet he has. Yeah, feet. Ten <laughs> feet. with my feet. Ten feet. Off of Beale. Uh, but uh, he's ten feet sort of above the ground uh, because he's he's uh, feeling he's feeling jazzed. Or maybe he's mm-hmm. feeling bluesed. He's uh he's certainly experiencing something perhaps supernatural, you know, he feels like he's floating. Right. And then it, it leads to this question, do I really feel the way I feel? Which maybe again res- relates back to his own pensiveness. It's also like when you go on a vacation somewhere, you kind of feel like a different person, right? You're like, Oh, holy shit. And then it's like, Do I actually feel this way or am I just in vacation mode? Right. It's kind of this like out of body experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of relates to the the floating feeling as well. Um, although it's kind of a silly question to ask if you feel the way you feel, because because if you feel it, then you feel it, then you feel, you feel, it. feel it, like right? Uh, yeah. Anyway, we don't need to logic it too much, but we will. We will. God we will. damn it, that's what we're here for. So yeah, uh, that's the sort of like spiritual excitement is the chorus. Mm-hmm. Here I am in fucking Memphis. It's crazy, but is it? legitimate but is it real like it, kind part of. of it's like is it is it okay to feel this way but is it really real is it really real so then speaking of things that are they really real verse 2 100% autobiographical saw the ghost of elvis on union avenue followed him up to the gates of graceland then i watched him walk right through because ghosts can go through things um also i looked at a map and the walk from union avenue to graceland is like not insignificant yeah it's like a, uh, it's, it's like a way mentioned because Stan- sam phillips studios called memphis recording services were located at 706 union avenue which is where uh elvis recorded several tracks yeah um now some people another one person location. suggested that this next part, security not seeing him, is a is a reference to Bruce Springsteen breaking into Graceland one time. What but is, what's the story there? A, uh, so Bruce Springsteen was young and had a song he had written for Elvis Presley to write. He oh, he and a friend right. were Elvis in like in Memphis and they passed by Graceland, and then he just like was like, "I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get in there." So he like jumped out of the fucking car hopped the fence, ran up to the door, and then, like, a, a security guard saw him there, like, at the door. And he was like, I'm just, I just want to leave this for Elvis Presley. And then the guy was like, he's not home. And I think Bruce, like, gave the, the, the lyric sheet he had to the security guard and then left. And it probably never was seen again. Yeah, probably not. Um... All right. But I think security not seeing him I is don't because see he's that. a fucking ghost. He's a ghost. Also, like, even if he wasn't a ghost, security would be like, oh, that's Elvis. He's cool. Yeah, that's Elvis Presley. He lives here. Um, and, of course, that's impossible because Elvis is still alive, so he can't be a ghost. Um, so yeah. the ghost has to represent uh, the spirit of rock and roll or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's, uh, he's alive, but he can astrally project. I guess that should be obvious. You're right. So it would be more accurate to say to saw the spirit of Elvis, but, you know, the ghost of Elvis works as well. It fits. There's fewer syllables, so I guess that's Exactly. It's, it's, it's punchier like that. So going so, up to Graceland, s- which is Elvis's home. We, did yeah. we say that? It is. If, um, because all the best homes are named Graceland, GoldenEye, mm-hmm. uh, probably others. I don't know. Sam Phillips Studios. Sam Phillips Studios. Oh, um, uh, Paisley Park. 
Paisley Park. Um, etc. etc. Neverland yeah, Ranch. I'm not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> Nobody. No, pull it back. Pull oh, it back. So now security. They did not see him. They just hovered around his tomb. But there's a pretty little thing waiting for the king down in the jungle room. Skywalker Ranch. Also. Skywalker Ranch. Anyway, um, security did not see him. Yeah. I got lost. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh. so security did not see him. Uh, his tomb is it's there Graceland. Like I don't, right. I don't think he's actually entombed there, but you know, it it does have a tomb like quality to it. Um, there's a pretty little thing waiting for the king <laughs> down in the jungle room. The jungle room, uh, uh, which is a room in the in Graceland. It's uh, apparently uh, styled to remind him of Hawaii, or to, you know, to remind Elvis of Hawaii. Have you seen the? I saw a picture of it. Um, let's um, see if I can find yeah. it. It's like got green carpet. Like it's. Yeah, it's a very like lush looking room. Uh, here, no, that's the wrong one. I have way too many things open. If you go to Genius and you click on the annotation for this oh, line, it'll take you to a. Yeah, it'll take you to a thing that's got pictures of it. Down in the jungle room. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's brick wall. Is that? Ah, uh, here we are. Yeah. But you got a bunch of plants. Yeah, um, it's it's. I don't even think it's it's like um like stones like stacked yeah, flat stones yeah, yeah. but not like brick um it's yeah, very that's old a style there actually that that part those oh, stacked that stones is a waterfall mm-hmm. uh, no, i can't speak for the rest of it there's like a one of those like tree root tables that are all glossy um a couch that looks like it might be furry i don't know if i want to know um and lots of plants and some yeah, like old style lights. It's definitely like old fashioned. Um, yeah. Like style more expensive than, but in line with what I would expect in like my grandparents' homes. Mm-hmm. Like weird carpet and strange furniture. Strange furniture. That's like not quite old enough to be cool and like just old enough to smell like dust. And I'm assuming cigarette smoke. Yeah, that seems like a natural. Now, Alex, the real question here is the pretty little thing. Is it suggested that the ghost of Elvis is still boning down in the jungle room? Yeah, it it does really sound like he's talking about like groupies waiting waiting for Elvis in the jungle room, which um sounds a little skeezy. Just a little bit. Um but he's dead, so like maybe it's just this idea yeah. of like that may have happened at one time. Like, yeah, it seems to be like the suggestion that even though like Elvis is dead, it like through Graceland, like in the things that happened there still live on in a in a ghostly way, right? Like the spirit of Memphis right. is right. In Graceland is alive and well and running things as usual. Yeah, like he's still. You know, I, he's still having sex with groupies in, in heaven or whatever. Which like Yeah. I, I I don't know what I don't know what Elvis did. I'm I'm assuming. Uh, I, Elvis definitely had sex, I can tell you that. Like at least twice. At least twice. Maybe. I actually don't know how many kids he had. I don't I don't know either. If, I honestly didn't even know we had kids. I just if assumed any? he had sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're getting off topic. Um, 
so that's what's happening there. Then there's another chorus. Yeah, so it, it seems to be this idea that whatever Elvis represented, the verse two is suggesting that it is still alive and well. And right, kind of like the rock and roll lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of preserved there. Yeah. And so then the chorus again, do I really feel the way I feel? Then we come to the bridge where he says they've got catfish on the table. They've got gospel in the air. Now, allegedly, catfish on the table. Apparently, catfish was a way of talking about sex. Yeah? Yeah. That's blue slang for sex. Huh. Because, like, don't they eat catfish? Yeah, they probably... Uh, that's like, why my thought was, like, they, they just eat catfish there. Because, like, I'm pretty sure that's a more common dish in the American South. Yeah. I'll admit, I don't know for certain, but I was pretty sure. Like, and also, the other definition of catfish that I know is just, like pretending like like faking your identity and tricking someone yeah, into too. doing something mm-hmm. so like that doesn't fit no so the suggestion is though that he's uh remarking on sort of the uh the split nature of memphis they've got catfish on the table or you know sex, sex they've got the gospel in the air and also okay so i'm looking up there are catfish places in Memphis, like quite a few. Okay. So like it's not. So it maybe happens. it is multi-layered. Yeah, it, it could have two meanings because if catfish is your sex slang, and it it is this song is like very deeply, um, or has a lot of like blues history. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was using blue blues slang. Mm-hmm. But also, it just so happens that, or I'm sure they're related. Catfish is also just a thing you would eat on a table because it's food. Yeah. Look at that. Two meanings. Look at that. Two meanings. Gospel in the air. And Reverend Green will be glad to see you when you haven't got a prayer. So, of course, Reverend Green, Reverend Al Green, was was another performer um, who was yeah. like a, he wrote "Take Me to the River," which we didn't actually talk about, Oops. but is covered by Talking Heads. He uh, was a singer songwriter, um, exclusively a musician, until his girlfriend committed suicide, which led to him becoming a pastor and then getting into gospel music as well. Mm-hmm. And at this like full gospel church in T- Memphis, Tabernacle. Tabernacle. Um, we actually have at least one full gospel church in Calgary. That I know mm. of. Um, I don't really know how connected they are. But. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so he performed there, which apparently was one of the things that, that he went to Memphis to see. I like how Reverend Green gets like half of a bridge. It's like, we know who Reverend Green is. And then Muriel gets a pretty much whole verse. Yeah, we get a, a whole verse for a retired teacher who kind of just like casually plays piano. Yeah, which. But... I, I think I like that dynamic. I feel like everyone like gets a bit and then I guess also he didn't really interact. Like he saw it. He went mm-hmm. to the the service or whatever. But like that was just one of the things he did as opposed to the at the Hollywood with Muriel where that was like more of an event, like an interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, so I actually so. have a recounting of his experience at the, the church. Okay. 
He's got a, a quote here. He says, I soon had chills running up and down my spine. The service was so deeply moving that I found myself with sweat running down my face and tears in my eyes, totally enveloped by everything I was seeing and hearing. There was something incredibly powerful about Al Green's voice in that context. Even after three hours of continuous singing, his voice only got stronger and his band only got better. I sat there crying in the church, aware of the irony of how I used to cry in synagogue in Cleveland as a kid, but because I wanted to get the heck out of there. Al Green's service was one of the great experiences of my life. And it also kind of fits in with the, like, religious um, themes of the song. Not necessarily Christian specifically, but just this idea of, like, reverence towards, in this case, past blues and rock musicians. Mm-hmm. It's sort of really true. Talking about them in that kind of tone where they're like this precursor sort of creator. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, he, so he talks about this experience like it is, uh, it is saving him. It's a salvation thing when you haven't got a prayer, but boy, you've got a prayer in Memphis. This is the same guy who, you know, walked off the plane feeling blue, but now like he's finding hope in, in Memphis. Right. And of course the phrase you haven't got a prayer means you don't have a chance of succeeding. Um, mm-hmm. but also here because he's literally in a church talking about a pastor who will offer sort of this religious experience. Yeah. When, and when he truly doesn't have a prayer in the sense that he is not Christian, he's, he's, a, he's Jewish. Right. And of course, also his attitude at the time towards his own music, which was that it wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, that's sort of based around his feelings but boy you've got a prayer in memphis boy you've got a prayer in memphis and then on to the killer line third verse now muriel plays piano every friday at the hollywood they brought me down to see her and they asked me if i would do a little number and i sang with all my might and she said tell me are you a christian child i said ma'am i am tonight I got chills just reading that. That fucking line slaps so hard. <laughs> it is a pretty good line. Um, of course, this is now the story of him playing at this Hollywood, I think, cafe. Hollywood Cafe. Yeah, Hollywood Cafe in Robinsonville, Mississippi, which is actually 35 miles south of Memphis. Um, and he sees her perform. They ask him to perform. He performs. And then there's... This line at the end, tell me, are you a Christian child? And he says, ma'am, I am tonight. That's like, that's like the climax of the song. Like it, it just like really builds to just that moment, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of when he says that, of course, as we discussed earlier, he's Jewish. So, um, but then there's this moment where, or this, time here where he's now say, like feeling kind of like he's a part of something that's what i'm getting out of it anyway so yeah he's anyway, been so yeah. welcomed here and so with some of the some key parts to help us understand this uh he was brought up to play with her and they at around midnight 
at the Hollywood, and they soon realized that there wasn't, this is a quote now, we soon realized there wasn't a song in the universe that both of us knew in common. <laughs> a quick thinker, Muriel started feeding me lyrics to gospel songs so that, I, so that I could catch up in time to sing somewhat in rhythm with her and make up my own version of the melody. Some songs I was vaguely familiar with and some I didn't know at all. The very last song we sang together that night was Amazing Grace. After we finished and people were applauding, Muriel leaned over and whispered in my ear, Child, you can let go now. It was an incredibly maternal thing for her to say to me. Just like sitting in Reverend Al Green's church, I was again transformed. It was almost as if my mother was whispering in my ear. From the time I left Memphis and went back home to New York City, I knew I had a song in me about my experience there. So yeah, singing gospel songs, the main point. Right. Uh, he, and it, and again, he's finding healing in this. So she says, Are you a Christian? And he says, You know, I am tonight. Like... I'm very much feeling this. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of the the thing I've gotten out of it is, uh, or a lot of this song is kind of the connection between this idea of like this religious community and this sort of like a music community. So he's saying, are you a Christian? And he feels like he's a part of that because of the gospel music. But also there's this feeling uh, of like this power of music that connects mm-hmm. him with everybody. And yeah, he, he really feels, does feels that through in himself. these verses link the idea of like spirituality and blues music together very well. We start off with the uh, like with the ghost of Elvis, so we mm-hmm. we get a little ooh, ghosts exist, but also it's you know rock music, the representation of that. Then he's in church, and you know he he sees this sermon, and that sermon was sang for three hours at him apparently, and then it comes down to performing music. At a uh, at a small cafe, and that's that's how he gets the music and the spirituality out from Memphis and like into him. Mm-hmm. Also, just the casual way I, it's to like flippantly be like, "Yeah, I'm Christian tonight." Is <laughs> pretty pretty fun, like pretty rock and roll. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it it's a good line that like feels very meaningful. Hmm. And it's really punctuated well in the song itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It it fucking crushes in the in the composition. Um. Beyond that, we get the chorus repeated a couple of times, and then the outro is the uh, first verse saying again the blue suede mm-hmm. shoes one. And mm, them's the lyrics. That's that. Them's the lyrics. So it's it's about his time in in Memphis, Tennessee, and how it was a spiritual awakening. You didn't need us to go through every line to tell you that, because we pretty much already knew that, but we did it anyway, goddammit. But we did it anyway. That's what we're here for. All right, Alex. Um, Tell me about the, the noises. What kind of noises? Well, so the first noise you're going to hear, mm-hmm. um, first really significant noise anyway, is this piano line that it starts yeah. with. And it's like a, like a fifth, I think, but then jumps up yes. octaves. So it kind of raises up over octaves and plays through a couple times before he actually starts to sing. Yeah, Very, like, and that itself kind of sets up that, uh, you know, that uh, like kind of raindrop pensive feeling. Yeah, and it's all on its own to start, too. So he kind of starts the song alone and then later on feels like he's part of this bigger thing. So the mm-hmm. to start there. That's right, buddy. Yeah. And that's uh, we get him singing, 
And then that's essentially the setup for the uh, the first verse. We get more involved piano in the chorus, but it's uh, it's all piano and vocals till we get to the second verse, right? Yeah, the chorus Actually, doesn't keep the same piano line. Uh, it does more like chords. Mm-hmm. And there's like kind of it opens up more that I think even a little more echo. Um, it's hard to tell sometimes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then once that finishes, yeah then drums and guitar come in yeah very simple drums uh you get just kind of a light arpeggio on a guitar there yeah um drums are very focused on the um like hi-hat yeah kind of kept pretty pretty buttoned down um and Mm -hmm. gets a few kicks in there too um and that's and then we also get uh, a bit of organ coming in. Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit, mm-hmm. which is, which is good. I mean, there's so much like blues gospel um, subject matter in this song. How could you not have an organ, right? Right. Um, but it's like very light in the background to start. Yeah. But it's it's there. It's definitely there. Um, he also, I was interested in the different ways everybody said the word Graceland. Because I right. always, like, really emphasize land. But when he says it, he right. kind of says it like Graceland. Like, just kind yeah. of, uh, kind of collapses into that second. Graceland. Second syllable. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Lund. Graceland. Uh, Graceland. Um, and then throughout that verse, yeah, you get a little more organ. As you're getting the sort of, the story of Elvis his ghost mm-hmm. um yeah having sex with like a, a bass line starts to come in like halfway through the verse at the security line the security the bass yeah it comes in there i believe yeah and also there's like the the drums kind of pick up yeah um a little a few more hits on that uh on that i had i guess a little more open Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the rhythm's starting to pick up. You know, the song's starting to move a little faster. Like, the song's... The, the rhythm's not changing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not actually a, it's speeding like up. A classic building of yeah. layering of instruments, right? You get more and more instruments. So the second chorus comes in louder than the first one because we have all of this instrumentation now. Exactly. And then that leads to the breakdown, the bridge. Yeah. Well, the, the chorus is... You're right, the chorus is... is up higher i like the like i mean you get some of those like organ rips so like kind of yeah almost cat like but the way i said it um there's more guitar the guitar is more sort of the focal point of the chorus now which is fine i i really like the piano so i Mm kind of wish that was a little more forward in the the middle chorus but i mean I wasn't there in the studio. I don't know what that would have actually been like. Right. I thought it all blended together pretty well. It I didn't does. Really notice it the does. Guitar focus. I just I'm not noticing the piano. I guess the piano wasn't playing the piano line during the chorus anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was just a thought I had. It's fair. It's fair to have thoughts. Yeah, I have thoughts Allow sometimes. It. Every once in a while. So then when we get to the 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 bridge, 
Yes. Things things sort of mellow out. It's a more like sparse piano, a lot of organ sustains. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the piano just kind of like plays chords, and you hear this like uh, the drums really spread out. Yeah. And and you really get the kind of like ringing from the piano, you know, the way the when you hit the strings, you can kind right. of hear that yeah. like, that like harshness in the ring. Like when they kind of repeatedly hit him, but then just let him like fade. Mm-hmm. And this is we uh, we kind of move into a a more of a church organ format as he starts to talk about Reverend Green. Yes. Very much gets a bit of gospel feel to it. Oh yeah, the chords here. Like I don't know the theory behind this, but like the way they do this chords, they're like bleh, dah, dah, like. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. Mm. <laughs> like you know it when you hear it, you're like, this is some yeah. gospel music. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then he does his like haven't got a prayer thing where he sort of I mean that's the like complete breakdown. I do like how the bridge sort of has two levels of breakdown. And then yeah. at the very end it's like totally like just him singing prayer in falsetto. And then he kind of half speaks the if you got a prayer in Memphis like coming yeah, back well, up. You got a prayer in Memphis. And then the, yeah, we get back to just the piano. As you go into the Muriel verse. Mm-hmm. Which starts out quiet and then pretty much you get the full instrumentation back by I think the line do a little number. Yeah, it's like classic coming back from a from your bridge you break down section mm-hmm. you're low you were high before you start at the beginning point but you can't take as long to get to your high point so you gotta jump up halfway through the verse yeah classic structure we see it all the time and they do it here yeah they do it here and it works well he starts punching with his voice a little harder at that line to mm-hmm. do a little number yeah and also in the song he's literally like this is where he actually starts performing in the story mm-hmm. of the song as well. We're kind of yeah. like doubling up on that energy because there's two performances going on right now. That's right. There is, yeah. Well, there is. Um, and he's singing with all his might. Yeah. And then we get what, what you talked about in the lyrics, the climax of the song. Tell me, are you Christian child? Ma'am, I am tonight. Yeah, like cut everything out, which actually happens in, in the jungle Down room. Down in the jungle room. Um. But just like really like just kicks it for this one. They get that organ like, you know. Yeah, it organ like thing. leads man, to a stop and just oh man. Yeah, <laughs> the, it clears all this space for him to just fucking shout it out, and it fucking rocks. And like, there's your song. Like, yeah, he's a part of something, part of something bigger than himself. And there's this. Yeah, and then yeah, you basically just do victory laps for the rest of the yeah, song. Yeah, really. <laughs> I just come to and then tells the beginning of the story again. Yeah, um, so we get the we get the repeat. I think it's the doubling up of the chorus where we get uh, a backup choir now. They yes. haven't been on the previous. Yeah, there's choruses. like this gospel choir doing backups. Mm-hmm. And uh, then yeah, then that breaks eventually to essentially the first verse again, except instead of going on to the WC handy part, he ref- he repeats the touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain line. Yeah, and it's also um, down to that piano line as well. Yeah. So that's kind of the 
I mean, something is an appropriate come down from the song because to me, it sort of tells a story and then he's leaving, but sort of think thinking about it still. Like this is yeah. it's the end of his trip. It's the end of the story, but like the story is still running through his head. Yeah, hundred percent. That's yeah. It's yeah. It's bookended perfectly. It's the travel out yeah. the first time the verse is there, and it's the travel back the second time that verse is used. Yeah. So it does a really good job of of kind of that, giving the the impression of that particular story. I think it's pretty strong mm-hmm. story told storytelling. Told. Yeah. It's yeah. a good. It's a good storytelling on this. And yeah. It's done well, yeah, both through the instrumentation and the lyrics. Um, also supported by the black and white music video. The music video is in black and white. It's, it involves mm-hmm. a lot of walking in Memphis. Yeah, it is essentially just like close-ups of Mark Cohn singing, coupled with shots of him walking around to different locations in Memphis, including uh, and outside of Memphis, because he goes to the Hollywood Cafe. Yeah, and like there's there's shots of riverboats, which is mm-hmm, also the Memphis Queen too. Something you would see in in Memphis. Um, yeah. would, I would, is, is that all they're called? Is riverboats when they have that little like paddle engine contraption? I, th- I mean, I think so. They're boats yeah, on a I river. Mean, <laughs> I, I've always yeah. called them riverboats. I don't know if there's another. I term. know that's a legit term for that. Yeah. I just don't know if there's another one. Yeah, it's like I couldn't I couldn't think of any term for it earlier. So it's like proud Mary kind of deal. Yeah, regardless, yeah, you see the riverboat. It's got its little paddle engine. Um, you get close-ups on his face. There's a mother and child who put a flower by a statue of Elvis. We see the Graceland gates. We see kids running around some laundry. We get a picture of a church, and there's a car there. There's him playing piano in the Hollywood. He stands beside a barn, plays uh, more piano in the Hollywood. And then it like fades out on a shot of like a boat. Yeah, I also kind of like because closer to the end of the song, it kind of pulls out and it shows that he's playing this song in a a venue. I don't know if it's supposed to be the Hollywood. Like that was kind of the impression I got was mm-hmm. he was like telling his story within the story, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I was under the impression it was the Hollywood, but yeah. I guess there's no like real confirmation of that. Yeah. I think it's implied though. Yeah. So it's it's like it's not the most interesting music video, but like as a as a fairly direct representation of what's going on, I'd say it's better than most videos that just show a band playing a song. Yeah, I mean it's ninety one, like so you have to have a music video. Of course. Um, and yeah, I think putting out something like this where you're like, well, let's make it a little more emotional. Let's focus less on me performing this because that's really just sitting at a piano and singing. Yeah. And let's, let's get some shots of the actual place that the song is about. But yeah, you know, I, like, I've seen the music video before and I watched it again today and I was just like, oh yeah, it's black and white. Like, that's, yeah. that's most of what I remember. It's black and white. It certainly is. Um, anything else to say before we move into the covers, Alex? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I've said, said everything, possibly said even more than much. once. Yeah, let's, let's cut a bit of that. <laughs> All right, well, we were going to talk about the first cover in 1995 by Cher. And I'm walking in Memphis. I was walking with my feet ten feet off a of beer. 
Second week, we're talking about Cher covering a song. Second week. In a, oh, in yeah. A row, yeah, that we is. talked about Love Hurts. Love Hurts. Love Hurts. Hey, we talked about Love Hurts last week. Something I learned, or I'm trying to remember if it came up, that the Everly Brothers sang backups on the song Graceland. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. I, forgot to, I, I was listening to uh, Graceland, and then uh, yeah. all the bonus tracks played, and one was like an interview. He's like, and then I uh, got the Overly Brothers down uh, to sing some backups. I always thought of Graceland as the like perfect Everly Brothers song. I was like, all right, Paul Simon. Um, anyway, trivia. Trivia. Um, so this opens very similar. It's 1995, so this is four years after the original release. Um, one of the big differences on this, let's talk about the lyrical differences first. She says girl instead of boy. Yeah. As blue as a girl can be. And then she changes the piano player to a man named Gabriel. Yes, it swaps everything, basically, gender-wise. I don't yeah. know why Muriel has to be Gabriel. But I don't know. Then she says, man, I am tonight, instead of ma'am, I am tonight. So, like, yeah. it all fits. I, I don't understand the motivation, because it's not like a romantic thing. No. That, that would have maybe made someone want to change it uh, but know. maybe people expect that from Cher so like maybe she's like well people might connect romance to me in this this piano player so I might as well make maybe. it a dude that is that was my first reaction when I heard the lyric mm-hmm. um, was that I assumed it was romantic um, not listening to the rest of the song so maybe maybe that was a good move yeah maybe Um, the drums on this one Alex quite aggressive yeah i gotta say uh so it starts pretty similar um yeah with the piano line she starts singing now instead of waiting until the second verse for the rest of the instrumentation to come in she brings it in halfway through the first verse Mm -hmm. i'm not a huge fan of the drum machine no i don't think it like it works together with the rest of the song very well kind of makes it a little poppier but, yeah, yeah and not I, like the vein of pop you want it to be in. Yeah, I, I think a lot of older artists or artists coming in from older or previous decades in like the mid 90s were trying new things and a lot of them weren't necessarily succeeding. Yeah, and I mean, you might as well try and fail on a cover, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, there is a, a video on YouTube of her performing this live where she mentions that it bombed completely. Yeah, <laughs> this I, I did read that. Um, so that's fun. But yeah, not a huge fan of of that. The way they do the drums. They're, they're fine at first, and then they kind of go into this other like electronic sort of beat. But yeah, it doesn't really meld all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, the organ part's more synthy now. Yeah. Um, it's like very spacey, too. So, less kind of less punch than you'd get from the original one. Um, yeah. But a, a little more in line with, like, what I might expect from Cher. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's definitely, like, yeah, the instrumentation is leaning more in a Cher direction. You get, uh, you get a bit of more electric guitar. It's, like, a yeah. little bit yeah. more crunchy than what you'll get from the original. Um, they chuck in, when she mentions security, there's an audio clip of 
just like a dude talking thrown in. Yes, it's like this like walkie-talkie sound effects. Yeah. Um so that's fun, I guess. It's uh but but security didn't see them, so why would security be talking on the radio? Oh yeah, I don't know. That doesn't security. that doesn't quite check out. Anyway. Security's just a chatterbox, I guess. Yeah. So uh yeah. Like she sings like share, so she does great in that department. Yeah, the singing um, is good. Um, I did notice, like, the end of that verse, talking about the jungle room, she doesn't do, like, a big stop-focus thing. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if it's because, like, there's a drum machine going and they didn't, like, stop right, it they kind of thing. Too lazy to stop yeah. it. Um, or, like, change the beat for the end of the thing. Because it kind of, like, stays flat there. I mean, it goes a little... Like the instruments stop. Oh. It's at one eighteen. Let me double check that. Oh, you're right. Maybe I'm crazy. I feel like it doesn't hit as hard. She doesn't go as Yeah, hard it doesn't hit as hard. But for some reason I was thinking that nothing changed. But it does. But it does. I don't know, man. That's okay. Sometimes, you know, you just remember things wrong. Yeah, sometimes you write down a note and you're like, Yeah, that's probably I'm pro- I was probably right back then. And then you read <laughs> yeah, it, and you're like, on. ah, fuck. Because, you know. Yeah. Um, she brings in backup choirs a lot sooner in this one. Yeah, this one builds a lot faster. Obviously, they yeah. come in with the other instruments, um, like, on the first verse instead of the second. Uh, but, yeah, now the whole gospel choir is coming in really early. Yeah. And then you get some backup oohs and ahs on the, the bridge mm-hmm. between the catfish line and the, the gospel and the air line. Like the best parts of this cover are where there's as few instruments as possible, so you can hear share. Yeah, the, there is some like production kind of messing with this song. Yeah, that I'm not a huge fan of. But a lot of the rest of it, like it's follows it pretty close, other than the like minor lyrical changes we mentioned. Yeah. And then, which just are distracting for me. It's just like uh, Gabriel plays the piano. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. And like, also, you know, it's the mid '90s. The way they kind of use these electronic elements, mostly the drum machine, yeah. feels dated. Like it kind of mm-hmm. puts a timestamp on the song. So. And it's- Diff. So, like, mm-hmm. you, you were talking about the, the Jungle Room line. I was just listening to the, the Man I Am Tonight line. And they both are very rigid in how the instruments stop. It's like, bam, Man I Am Tonight. <laughs> and then it starts up again. It's very, uh, it doesn't feel quite as organic as the original. And that might be due to using a drum machine. Quite possibly. Um, and, yeah, it's awkward in that way. But... I mean, still share. She does a decent job of singing. Yeah. And, uh, but not the best version. The way she says not Graceland is more like Gracelind. Graceland. Graceland. We got Gracelund. Lund. And we got Gracelind. And those are the only two I really noted it for. But, oh, yeah. That's true. Um, did you watch the music video for this, Alex? Yeah. The music video made it very clear that despite the fact that she sings, um, that she boarded a plane and touched down, that she actually took a bus. Yeah, Cher does not know the difference between planes and buses. Also, 
this uh, music video, along with the ending line, when she ends the song on the line, put on my blue suede shoes. Right. Instead of in the middle of the pouring rain, like the original. So she really like zeroed in on the Elvis part and Graceland part of this song. Because this music video is about Cher as a like an Elvis impersonator. Yeah, she's dressed up as Memphis. Elvis for a lot of the mm-hmm. song. And like she goes to a diner and she's got this costume on and she's dancing around with people. Kind of yeah. like that one episode of New Girl where Zoe Deschanel dressed up as Elvis. Oh, classic so New Girl episode. Classic. Um, but, so it's basically that. It's, it's her on this bus, like on the steps of this bus. Yeah, sitting, in black and white. In black it's and all white. in black and white. Singing the song and then intercut with just like her antics, um, dressing up and then going out as an Elvis impersonator in Memphis. So it's kind of amusing, but it's much more lighthearted than the original. Yeah. It's it's more like, hey, Elvis is for, you know, the Graceland, that's in Memphis. It's pretty fucking cool, huh? How about that? And, uh, yeah. Seriously, though, yeah, she's on a bus the whole time, not a plane. Yeah, she's on a bus, not a plane. Um, She goes to... A- a hotel room she's dressed as elvis she puts up a big elvis poster in her hotel room and just like looks at it she uh she follows some of the beats of the other one like performing with some other people at a at a, like a diner or whatever mm-hmm. and then but yeah, she's she, like got a guitar and she's doing like elvis dancing yeah and then she gets back on the bus at the end so she just fucks off it's not even raining yeah, it's not even raining come on sheer it's it's so like is it better or worse than Mark Cohn's video? It's probably about the same. I'd say it it fits the tonal differences of the version, you know, because yeah. So it's appropriate. It's as appropriate, I would say, for that version of the song. I personally prefer the original version because it doesn't have the uh, like beat, the drum machine going. Um, mm-hmm. But because of that addition, this music video fits the song better. Yeah, buddy. It it doesn't feel it doesn't have like that same um, like weight to it. So the yeah. music video is a little more lighthearted. So it makes sense. I agree. I'll allow it. Yeah. We're gonna move on to our next cover version, which I'm very excited to talk about. Scooter in Scooter. 1996. So this version is actually called I'm Raving, and it is not even the first version to take Walking in Memphis and change it into a song about raving. The first one was actually released in 1992 by the English duo Shut Up and Dance called (laughs) Raving, I'm Raving. And they use like the same, raving, I'm raving. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. That's excellent. I'm happy about that. Excellent and so strange. I don't... I don't yeah. understand it, but they what is the, the connection between between walking in Memphis and just the idea of raving? Also, it's a German group. Um, yeah, they're a German hard dance group. Oh, so they do what's called happy hardcore, happy hardcore rave and techno style music. Yeah, and I saw hardcore, and I thought that's very strange because I was listening to the song, and it didn't sound like anything hardcore to me. But mm-hmm. it's happy hardcore. 
happy hardcore. So, you know, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Now, I I have the lyrics here. I would love to read right. them out for you. Please do. Put on my raving shoes, and I boarded a plane. Touched down in a land where the skies were blue in the middle of the pouring rain. Hmm. Everybody was happy. Energy shining down on me. Yeah, I've got a first-class ticket. Feel as good as a boy can be. I'm raving, I'm raving. I'm raving till the sweat has fallen down off me. I'm raving, I'm raving. But do I really feel the way I feel? Yeah. And that is, like, that's the edited lyrics. That's they just repeat that over it. and over. And then he shouts Wicked a lot. Yeah, he shouts it wicked. three or four times. Um, this is interesting. Um, I really feel like, of all the lines to keep, do I really feel the way I feel is probably not the one. <laughs> I know, right? He's talking about how much of a good time he's having. He's like, do I really feel the way just I like, feel? Is it, is it real? Man, this uh, this could have been like a commentary on like drug culture at raves if they had edited the lines a little differently and kept that one in. Yeah, It'd be like, is, yeah. does taking ecstasy at a rave really mean you're feeling that way? But no, they they just leave it there, and that line just sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, because it's the only line that's not changed. And um, it, yeah, or more, I think. Yeah, because the the, the one that's changed the least beyond that is, yeah, I've got a first-class ticket. Feel as good as a boy can be. Right, yeah, I guess the first-class ticket. But, like, that kind of makes sense because he's still talking about being on a plane. Yeah. But then the, the do I feel the way I feel, like, this is not a pensive song. He's raving and dancing, possibly yeah. not even <laughs> thinking, you know? Like, it's kind of a potentially mindless um Oh, yeah, his activity. main thought is, I'm raving, I'm raving. Um... And then, and then, like stopping to be like, but do I feel the way I feel? And then the next one is yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I fucking do. So he answered the question. Um, yeah. So that could have been handled a little better, but um, it's more of like a party song. Yeah. So it opens with that piano riff. It does. Do, 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 do. And the guy saying good evening. And then he starts to sing this song. It kind of reminds me vocally of the clash or like the way his voice sounds oh yeah it's like uh it's halfway between singing and just like gruffly shouting yeah kind of there's a lot of echo on his voice it's possibly a live performance possibly just imitating one yeah um now this one also is a drum machine but it makes sense here Mm-hmm, because we're in the realm of hard dance and happy hardcore. Yes, of course. And he's talking about raving and, like, techno music. Yeah. And we get some real, like, you get your boots and cats, drums on here. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then somewhat unexpectedly, bagpipes. Yeah. Uh, play Scotland the Brave for a while. Yeah. Quite quickly. Which, it seems like a 90s move. I feel like other things, other 90s electronic dance tracks have done something similar. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. I can't off the top of my head, but now like, this is very much a dance track of the era. Now, the only, when I looked up the song, one thing it mentioned was that Scotland the Brave is in Dead Poets Society the movie mm -hmm. so i wonder if it's a reference to that oh like that's why it came to be yeah because like... because in dead like dead poet society i'll admit i haven't seen the movie but i've seen a lot of um 
I've seen parodies of the movie. <laughs> I've heard it spoken about a lot. And as I understand, it's about this like seize the day mentality of like yeah. do things that make you happy. So I feel like that would fit in with the themes of this song. Right. Um, but I don't know. No, that checks out. That makes sense to me. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, like the logical through line is there. I just, I just don't know if that's what they were thinking or if they were just if like it's real. Yeah, put in Scotland enough. the brave. I had to look that up. I, I was like, it's the bike, it's the bagpipes song. It's the one you hear on bagpipes. But what's <laughs> it called? You hear on bagpipes. And then um, I looked up bagpipes songs, and the first one was Scotland the Brave. Yeah. So. So then, at about go. the one minute thirty six second, we officially like essentially loop. Right. He does some yaz, we get a big drum build up. And then oh, even before that, like one twenty, we're back to put on my raving shoes. Yeah, yeah. It's not super long. It's it's and it's a lot of like dance to the beat. Which makes yeah. sense. Like it's about it's about raving and then like you do the raving. Like who cares mm. what you're saying, right? At about two minutes we get a bit of a different segment with some sort of lower, darker kind of synth going on. And this is when he starts saying wicked. Mm, that's right. Yeah. This is with growing intensity. There there are various synth party sections. Yeah. And then it's back to that Scotland the Brave. We get him uh shouting out parts of the chorus a bit towards the end. Wicked. And then it, you know, it fucking leaves. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like quick and doesn't use much of the song. Um, what's interesting to me a bit about this version is that they have taken just the chorus. And yeah, the thing about the song Walking in Memphis to me is that the chorus is not really the interesting part of the song. Like the things I like about this song tend to not be in the chorus. The chorus works fine. Like, it tells part of the story. It, it works in the song. I wouldn't take it out. But if I was taking a part of this song because it was something I wanted for myself, it would be other elements of the song. You know? Yeah, that's fair. So, I don't know. I thought that was a little odd. It, it's, it's weird that they use this melody and structure mm, it's, it's for this song. It's a weird choice for dance music. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know what the crossover is between the German hardcore dance scene and soft rocks about yeah. american blues like american music. folk singer songwriters soft rock <laughs> like yeah I don't, I don't know yeah it's um it's an odd song it's it an is odd, song. odd it is and it's odd that it's they're not the only ones who made this connection <laughs> yeah and it is more i will say it is more consistent and makes more sense than the share version yeah it, this is at least like committed to its thing and all the elements work together <laughs> Yeah, it really was said, like, well, we're going to take this because we like that piano line, maybe. Like, maybe that's one of the yeah, things. Yeah, because that's really like the only thing from the original that is kept, other than mm -hmm. that one line that's weird. But... And, then, and then they're just like, and we'll just fucking pop the word rave a few times in the, the first verse. And change the uh, chorus to say I'm raving. Bagpipes? Boom. Yeah, hit the bagpipes. We got a fucking number one jam. And they're a very successful group. Supposedly yes, they have, they are. like... More than eighty golden platinum awards. Like they, they are not small. Yeah, there is a there is a quote on the uh, the Wikipedia page here. It says, "Music and media wrote about the song. Remember Mark Cohn's beautiful piano ballad, Walking in Memphis. Change the lyrics, and I'm raving, I'm raving. Add some bagpipe synths and the semi-live gimmick patented by Scooter. This makes chart storming <laughs> seem effortless." Yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem like they had to do all that much. Yeah, they hit number four on the German charts with this, and it's certified gold in Germany. Yeah, but it's just one of those things where, like, if you know what elements put together, you've got, like, they've got their, their formula, and it works. Yeah, baby, you got a stew going. Yeah. Um, did you watch the music video for this? I did. I did. <laughs> uh, so this one's also black and white. Yeah. Um, it does start with they're like pushing a float with a dude on it who plays this piano. Yeah. And then they're in some like weird industrial town. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a sort of abandoned industrial district. Yeah, and they just like have a parade, and like it's yeah. There's a marching band. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't see a single um, bagpipe. No. In the entire marching band. But there is a marching band. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, it, it shows the singer guy singing. Yeah. Like, from, like, the shots are from below. Most mm-hmm. of them. He's like, because he stands in this one spot at, like, the beginning of the video. That's basically where he is for most of it. You see all these ravers passing him by as he stands there and sings. Yeah, people are dancing, and people are marching band. Yeah, and then uh, at the end, they all, like, stand and gather together to watch these baton twirlers in the marching band. So it it's weird, because it's almost like referencing the original video. Well, I guess it kind of is. Like, the way they're kind of pensively looking off screen. When, they're, yeah. when he's singing, and it's black and white, obviously. But, like, the song doesn't support that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's a very I think it's odd. supposed to be funny. Yeah, probably. Because it, it's kind of, like, they're, like, partying and dancing, and then they'll just, like, stop and, like, stare off into the middle distance, and I don't know, it's, it's bizarre. It is bizarre. But, yeah, that is the music video. Um, and that is the song. We're going to move on to also 1996, The John Tesh Project. Yep, yep, The John Tesh Project. This is an instrumental version. Yes, um, he's a, a mostly instrumental. He's an American pianist and composer of pop music. Right, right. Mostly uh, so This opens with the piano. I hate that we have to say mostly instrumental. Mostly These instrumental. mostly instrumental versions are always just fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. It's not instrumental completely because there's backup vocals in the chorus. Yeah. And that's and they it. They change because the first time those backup vocals come in on the chorus, they're just like ooze. And then the next time they actually sing, they oh, si- yeah, they sing yeah, "Walking yeah. in Memphis." Yeah, so like that's kind of their element. The rest of it, or element, the element they keep sort of yeah. from the original. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of it is instrumental. First, that piano comes in, and then yep. a harmonica plays the um, melody, the, the vocal, vocal melody, melody. Yeah. and then it switches to a trumpet, and then I think it switches back to a harmonica. I don't remember all the specifics. Yeah, it, so it switches to the second verse. We switch to a trombone right up until oh, the down in the jungle room line, where it switches back to harmonica, and then for the uh, the catfish on the table line, that's your trombone again, or your trumpet, and then it switches to the harmonica again from there. So the the trumpet gets like. Like four lines total, and it, it's very—it seems arbitrary to have it in there at all. 
and to not be, you know, doing the the role of maybe the backup vocals that are humans for some reason while yeah. everything else is instruments. Maybe layering it a bit better as opposed to switching back and forth. Yeah. Harmonizing. I don't know. I don't know. It does. It's definitely strange. I didn't strange. take a whole lot of notes on this one. I'll admit. No, I thought I thought the harmonica was a good vocal substitute, particularly doing a song that is heavily themed with blues music, right? Yeah, plus like you can get some like good like rips on, yeah. a, on a harmonica and the time like the ends of the verses, that's what they use it for. So that works. Mm. The the trombone is yeah, a bit of an odd addition. Yeah. Along with those human backup vocals. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, beyond that, you get like some hand drumming, you get some, I think some strings and stuff layered in. It's your, it's like, it's your typical thing. Add in more instruments, break, add the instruments back up, finish. Yeah. But also here's human backup vocals. Here's a trumpet for a bit. Yeah. And it's, and it's an instrumental version of a song, so you can't change it up that much. Mm hmm. Like structurally. Yeah. So they do the song. This one, if it had just played it a little more straight, <laughs> like could have just squeaked by, but it's just making these weird, dumb choices. I'm like, Ugh, it's not good. Yeah, and it's always bizarre to hear backup vocals on an instrumental track. Yeah. Because, like, no one said anything, and they're like, walking in Memphis. You're like, huh? Hang on a minute. Where did that come from? It's less bizarre. I don't remember what song it was that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, oh, it's more than a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, it would have been like a month or two ago. Um, yeah. But. It was. Uh, fuck, what was it? That, like, there was like one line that was a backup vocal and the rest of it was instrumental. That was yeah. bizarre. This is not that bizarre, but it is still a little out of place. Fuck, I cannot for the life of me yeah, remember I can't, what it was. I can't remember what it was. Was it one of the London Collings? No. No, it doesn't seem right. I'm thinking I'm thinking like maybe Angel from Montgomery, but that doesn't sound right either. Well, that seems too far back. But I have been bad at this in the past. Um yeah. Is it the mod? Is it up on the roof? No, I don't know. We'll figure it out later. I, I'm looking at who did the versions of Up on the Roof we did. I don't think any were instrumental. Okay, that's fair. I feel like it was a little bit further back. I want to say it was like... No, it couldn't be if you could read my mind. That's way back, yeah. That's way back. And also, why would you do an instrumental version of that? Anyway, we're going to move on to the next version. Yes, let's do that. Which is uh, Lone Star in 2003. Lone Star. So Lone Star is like a country band? Mm-hmm. Tennessee. Yeah, that's, that's who it is. Uh, Originally, they were called Texas C, like Texas and Tennessee put together. Texas, Texas. Yeah, um, this is definitely a lot more country sounding. The original has a bit of that country to it, but this kind of adds the more like twangy um, aspects. Yeah. So 
they borrow the share technique of just doing the build in the first verse instead of waiting. Right. Um and there's um I think some slide guitar in the back in the beginning. Yeah, this version adds like a lap steel guitar. And I think a violin as well. Hang on, let me double check that this is the lap steel one. Hmm. Yeah, mm. yep, it is. Um so also a mandolin. So you get those like more country focused instruments. Mandolin. Right. Steel guitar. Um which of course is that sliding guitar sound and uh and violin. And actually there's some good interplay between the violin and the the lap steel guitar because they kind of have some similar sounds because of how they work with the sliding. Um Right. So they kind of go back and forth at one point. Um in the second verse in particular. And they kind mm-hmm. of it's all like almost like a call and response thing. I don't think it's quite that, but it kind of goes back and forth between them and they have a good sound together. Yeah, it's uh it does a a fairly like passable country rendition of this. You get a bunch of country instruments. I think there's a did you mention the mandolin that kind of yep. jangles in there? Yep. Yeah. Not a um, ton of mandolin, but every once in a while it pops up. Yeah. It's uh but you know it it is country, so naturally I dislike it. <laughs> I think they harmonize on the on the big punchlines down in the jungle room and yeah. Ma'am I Am tonight, and I think that cuts away from what makes those lines so attractive. Because it's it's not like a solo thing anymore. Like yeah, it's the why it works in the original is because he is the only thing in that space. It's not right. two of him in that space. It is one person singing, no instruments. Yeah, and anytime. I feel like a lot of people or a lot of versions end up doing that where like they'll try to punch it up by adding backup vocals without necessarily thinking. And it's such a natural thing to do of like, what do we do? Oh, have two voices instead of one. That's more energy. But in context, it might not make sense. Yeah, it's Um, addition by subtraction or subtraction by addition. Something like that. Um, Right. Addition by subtraction is a good one. Um, Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a little more guitar focused. You kind of get that um, twangy guitar. You get that lap steel, and it's just it's really it's like it's a very close cover. Yeah, very close overall. Um, And it's just a little more on the countryside. So, like I usually say for these, like it's not terrible, but it's just very straightforward. Yeah, it's just like very. It's the easiest path you could take to being a country version. Yeah. You get a twangy voice on there. You kind of replace just instruments with more country-sounding stuff. It's not like there's any big compositional changes. They still hit the same sort of beats. Here's the punchlines. We're just going to harmonize on them. So, yeah, at the end of it, it's just like a, it's an okay country version. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with that, that one, they fade out at the end. Cowards. Cowards! <laughs> Uh, with that, we're going to move into Paul Anka in 2007. Walking in Memphis Walking with my feet Ten feet off a field Walking in Memphis Do I really feel The way I... Canadian singer-songwriter 
Yes, he's been around for a long time. We talked about him way back in the Black Hole Sun episode. That's right. Um, and this cover is very much the same as that. Very one. similar. And I think it worked way better for Black Hole Sun. Mm, I really like the Black Hole Sun. His cover of Black Hole Sun, it had this like mysterious quality to it. Especially when he's talking about this like weird like apocalypse event and it kind of had this like dark quality this kind of doesn't have that darkness it's pretty straight like big band jazz version of this song Um, yeah and it didn't really work for me i didn't i didn't really like yeah it's the because the original song and the lyrics are very personal right right and right right then with his singing style it's a bit detached in that sort of big band style Sure, it's like less he, like singer songwriter and more like performer. If that yeah, makes sense. it comes off as like more of a show tune. Yeah, and yeah. So it loses yeah. a bit of like a credibility, a little bit of uh, like oh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? It feels less genuine. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels it feels more performed. It feels obviously it it's the most different. Well, not not counting Scooter. <laughs> It's the most different one so far. Uh, a lot of the melodies are changed. Um, yeah, kind of more in that like jazz um, tradition of like let's just let's change all the chords. Like let's let's shift things around a bit, make it jazzy. Yeah, the main pattern in this is essentially three ascending notes and then like a little section to noodle. Dun dun dun. Yeah, and there's plenty of that like jazzy stuff. Like at the end of lines, he'll do that little like jazz, like half step down kind of thing. Like, um, do that. Like, I can I I can't really sing. I mean, I can, but I I'm nervous about it. Um, maybe like feel the way I feel, and then like go you go down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the ends of lines. Um, and yeah, a lot of like brass and horns doing. Oh, yeah, big with the fucking horns. Big. And you're like, well, you can't get bigger with those horns. And he's like, more horns. Are you sure? Um, yeah, so it, it becomes very much like this big band thing that it's also a little weird. I mean, this is more like jazz over blues. So it's kind of yeah. kind of like a different history. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't think it worked that well overall. Um, it ends up being like kind of kind of busy. Uh, particularly with the horns at the end. Um, the Ma'am I Am Tonight line didn't really get the uh, the like focus I think it deserves. And I, this style of music could have delivered perfectly fine, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think they really get that part. Um, right. Well, it's, he's he's really drawing on this like ad lib style of singing. He, you know, he adds words here and there. He throws some out there. Mm-hmm. So when he takes the line "Ma'am, I am tonight," he treats it like an ad lib, like it's a throwaway. Like a, I'm trying to remember how he says it now. I know I didn't really like it. Ma'am, I am tonight. It's a. Let me see. I just passed it. It's yeah, three minutes in. Yeah, and it almost the way he says it there. It's almost more like ma'am. I am tonight. Like it, it doesn't have that like level of reverence. Yeah, it's, it feels kind of. I put down it's a greasy delivery of it. Yeah, a little more. Like it was that like romantic 
or somehow sexual delivery. Yeah, like something something profane is being implied, whether it be sex or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just ends up being like very bouncy, kind of. It was bouncy and it was busy. That's kind of my overall thought. Yeah, bouncy and busy is a good read on it. Um, um, and I don't think it worked for this song. Yeah, in terms of its place in this playlist, it was refreshing in that it was, like you said, quite different from a lot of the other versions. Yeah, it's not bad. Like, ignore the lyrics. Don't think about the subject matter too much. And, like, it's fine. Like, he does a decent job of making this, like, kind of bouncy, busy jazz version. But it. Yeah, but I think there's better big band songs you can be listening to if you're going to listen to this in, in, as a, as a non, <laughs> non-cover. Yeah, I probably wouldn't come back to it. Mm-hmm. I did want to note, I thought I had a note on it, but when he does the jungle room line, he doesn't really punch that one either. He kind of he kind of goes low with it, which I thought in terms of, you know, he's clearly not trying to tackle the song on its own terms. So that was like a good move in the context of the piece. But like we've said, overall, this piece doesn't really hit. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think, missed opportunities and they could have kind of brought some of the things back, some of the hits Mm -hmm. back or move them somewhere else or something but it doesn't it doesn't really deliver in the end yeah and i think this is a tough one to cover given how closely tied it is to the uh the original artist yeah yeah definitely especially if you're changing the the genre so much Mm -hmm. Um, scooter got away with it because they just changed everything yeah Um, this one almost didn't change enough if it wanted to stick with something so different yeah, it needed to. There needed to be like maybe lyric changes to change the attitude to this more show tuny type guy. Yeah, but it ends up just being kind of awkward. Yeah, speaking of kind of awkward, we're gonna talk about <laughs> Goot in two thousand nine. Goot. So this is Alex Goot. Uh, he's a yeah. YouTube guy. We have talked about him before, possibly twice. Really? Yeah. I think Shit. I think we talked about him for because there was a while like when we did some newer stuff, like we did um, Better Now. Oh we did yeah, Bad Better guy. Now. He's done. He's covered a lot of that like newer pop music. Um, you know what? I thought the album artwork for his because he has two separate artist pages because he used to go as just Goot. And now he oh, goes now by his full name, Alex, Alex Goot. Goot. Oh, yeah, because this is from back in 2009. So mm-hmm. He doesn't have long, curly hair anymore, I don't think. No, he doesn't. It's, it's much more modern looking. Yeah. Um, 2009 was a different time. I think that's what my it's hair looked time, like maybe? in 2009. Oh, yeah. Anyway. The kind of fluffy poodle mess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so we have covered him before. Wasn't a huge fan of him then. I didn't really Can't. go into this song expecting much. Uh-huh. Um, but you love it. But I love it. No, I didn't uh, change my opinion of that very much throughout the song. This one felt very rushed in terms of both like its tempo and his vocal performance. Yes, it was very fast. Um, very fast. Very fast version. Like it, It's 320, which shaves off like almost Just a full about minute. Just about a minute. Um, and particularly like like that makes a lot of the the drums like too busy 
for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I guess approaching the songs on its own terms, um, or maybe not. Uh, maybe I can't do that. I it has a lot of things that I tend to not like, like the way he sings. I don't really like the way he sings. Um, yeah, it has the that processing like, on it too. Yeah, that YouTube artist quality of pretty heavy vocal processing that you get and maybe just because it's less professional or not professional that's more noticeable or something but i tend to not like that mm-hmm. um, and i don't like it here either um he also if you listen to the piano line at the beginning he actually adds some like chords onto it yeah which fine i i don't know i it doesn't do much like i don't think it was necessary i yeah i I have trouble uh, with that because it it doesn't seem to detract from it or anything yeah it's very neutral right but But then if it doesn't say it add anything might as well not it might as well not be there yeah so it's kind of kind of odd um yeah it it seems like he was just trying to change something be like look at the way i do it and it's like okay but yeah specifically so you can be like my version does this it's just different like it's not better it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it what this one does is it moves from a like a standard piano version into like a a bad pop punk version. Pop punk, eh? I, do you think because the drums mostly? Um. Yeah, and just like the guitar tone is what I would uh like that just kind of basic distortion. It is pretty distorted, eh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely more than I would expect. Um. But it's not pop-punk enough. I agree that it doesn't read fully as pop-punk. Yeah, I didn't pick up on pop-punk, but I kind of see where you're getting that because of... Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those two things we talked about. Those two things. And it's very, very, very basic guitar. A lot of it is just big sustains. Yeah, mostly held stuff. And I get this was probably like him working on his own. Yeah. It's, It's kind of like bedroom production, which is fine. You know, that that let me kind of forgive a few things. Like, later on, the backup vocals s- kind of sound like they're trying to do the the gospel choir thing, but he clearly doesn't have a gospel choir to work with. So, like, fine, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, also, okay, so there's a weird part. Um in the jung- down in the jungle room line, he adds an overdub of his own voice, uh, but it's like a very soft falsetto version of the line, which I don't fully yeah. understand. Like they they're a little out of place there, and it doesn't really harmonize either or work together. So, yeah, it's like when you got yeah, two things in your mouth that you think are gonna mix together and they actually just stay no. completely separate. Uh, I think I've used this simile before, but me, and I probably said uh, mint candy and cola don't work together. Yeah, um, because they don't. I learned one time when I tried to do that, and yeah, it's it's, it's like that. It's mint candy and cola. It's mint candy and cola, baby. Um, it's it's just it again. It it seems a little out of place. I don't see what it adds. Um, and it doesn't really, like, if it was attempting to, like, really punch the song up for that, you know, like mm-hmm. this climactic line, um, or at least high point of energy, it doesn't really do that. It doesn't add much to it. No. Um, and so I thought maybe there would be, like, a progression with the with the next, like, the 
ma'am i am tonight Mm -hmm. um line or something but there is no overdub on ma'am i am tonight at all so i don't understand no i don't know i thought maybe there'd be some like progression of that overdub if if it was to make any sense that would be what would make it make sense to me but it it just it's just there yeah he kind of like whips through that ma'am i am tonight line too it's ma'am i am tonight and we're going back like it's yeah although i i do like the there's a piano like glissando right afterwards like that's kind of the punctuation yeah that he adds and i actually do like that um yeah that's not bad because but but it doesn't yeah that's yeah like he also makes a the choice that nobody else makes to hit hard on the line prayer in Memphis. You, boy, you got a prayer in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's what he, he usually uses to pick up the down. instrumentation, which that is different. And that is kind of different in a more interesting way. Mm-hmm. Cause it's sort of just switching up. Cause normally you, that part is very soft if you're following. The yeah. So, so there's truly like of one of the, the biggest, I think setbacks for this one, and you kind of mentioned it is it feels very amateur yeah and like recording it sounds like like that's what he like he was much less experienced at the time i don't know how he is nowadays uh very intimately um but yeah that's clearly what it was yeah and there's like like clearly he had some ideas that he didn't really follow through on so maybe he was lacking a little bit of like bravery or confidence in certain roles this just has like all the kind of markings of somebody who wasn't quite ready to be recording music but was doing it anyway because right. that's how you get better at yeah, it yeah because you get better and that's like the th- that that's a good thing i encourage this this is great yeah you might even call it a goot thing <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do have fun here we do um but yeah we have i have some some critiques another thing um the they've got gospel in the airline he follows it with an, mm-hmm. an ad lib where he says oh no which like that's a weird ad lib to say right after that, that is line. a weird ad lib Maybe um, he was fucking something up in the studio when he was like, recording it. Oh, no. And then just forgot oh, to take no. it out. Um, but, yeah, that, that's that's how it feels. I don't want to be, like, too hard on it. So I tried to keep my criticisms constructive as I could. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and we're talking to, uh, to a, a, a man who doesn't exist anymore. That's like, true. 2009. There is, is... there is no Goot. There is only Alex Goot. There is only Alex Goot. So, I mean... Hopefully he's done better. He's a, like, like you said, though, he's a YouTube guy and we've apparently talked about him twice before and I don't remember it. So <laughs> odds are, I still don't like his stuff, but yeah, maybe he's doing it more confidently and that's great. So on that note, on that note, on we're going to talk about a natty gray and NDA in 2011. Then I'm walking in Memphis, walking with my feet and feet of feel. had trouble finding these people um yeah this was a real like loop where i was like who's a natty they're like oh they do this walking in memphis remix you're like oh great (laughs) um it's hard to search gray and nda like (laughs) like i found an artist called gray but i don't think it's the same one yeah so my calculated guessing is uh a natty is a dj Gray is doing the vocals, mm-hmm. and I think NDA remixed this because I think 
Cincinnati and Gray featuring NDA. And then there's Oliver Heller and Oliver Float. Float. The Oliver Brothers. Which I, again, cyclical, I could only find this. Yeah. Um, Tracks and releases on Beatport. So it also calls it the Scotty versus Rudy MC remix edit. Remix edit. Um, So there's a lot going on here. Yeah. But to, to summarize it, they're a they an EDM entity. Yeah. So this is like our other dance version. There's no mention version. of raving this time. No, they stick with the lyrics for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, the it comes in like very obviously like digital piano that's been like shined up. Um, yeah. That's not a real word, but. There's a lot no, of echo right. on this it, and it's, sh- it's very shiny bright. Piano. It's a shiny piano. It's very bright and um, echoey. Mm-hmm. Shiny digital piano. Um, the voice is fairly processed, but I think it works more here because I always find that sort of like auto-tuning processing on the voice works if there's more electronic things around it. Yeah, it almost makes the voice, you know, more related to the to the instruments. Yeah, if your whole sound is that, then it sounds fine um yeah this is no we already said that (laughs) um so Uh, it does a lot of it's basically just the piano for the first part with a lot of your ambient noises going like pew or like pew yeah kind of doing those like synth pad like like shooting star stuff yeah and then we kind of ramp up at the end of the first verse, and then we get big synth notes that mimic the uh, piano progression for the original chorus. Yeah, I actually found that interesting because a lot of the times we will get like a synth party section that is completely detached from anything in the song. Like they just take the mm-hmm. chorus, and the rest of it is just a completely different song. But this actually does use the the chorus progression for its its uh, dance party synths. Yeah, and what's interesting is on the second chorus, it does the same notes, but it uses a different synth. It goes back to more of your shiny piano style. Yeah, because they kind of, like, fade that first synth out. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I mean, yeah, and then just coming with other stuff. Yeah. There's boots, and then we get, there's uh, cats. There's boots, there's cats. The synth they use for their, like, instrumental part which it starts at around 110 is very like like hissy at the edges of it. It's got a bit of hiss. Mhm. Mhm. Um yeah, second verse starts without piano. It's just uh just some rhythm synth. Oh, when he says uh saw saw the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue. The way he says on sounds like he's doing an Elvis impersonation. It's just one word. Yeah, he goes oh ho ho. It's a, around uh, 154. Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't notice that. That's a good detail. Um, yeah, and it makes, like, cool. I think that's legit because it sounds right. Yeah. We got to support that. Um, and yeah, a lot of it, one of the things that disappointed me a little bit about this version, as I said before, to me, the interesting parts of this song are the verses over the chorus. Mm-hmm. So, for some reason, they do the first two verses, but they don't finish the story. They leave us mm-hmm. hanging and just do a couple more choruses. 
And, you know, there's some dancing sections. And I really thought, because I, I was worried listening through this version, watching the time, and, like, it finished the second verse, and I was like, are they going to have time for the third one? And then they did a chorus, and I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah, they could do the next verse now. They have time. There's time left. And then they just kept doing verses and, like, dance sections. So, unfortunately, it never happened. Yeah. That is very unfortunate. Yeah. And I think there is, it would be a good use... Of, of like that big line you know ma'am i am tonight is great for like a you know cut everything and then get the dance going back in again like, yeah you absolutely. use it well in the dance mix yeah i mean that's your climax and you can like just drop right down after that and go some crazy crazy shit it's 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 just odd that they dedicate or they they went through with the verses because so often in these dance remix there's no verses at all it's just the chorus or something um they went through the first two and they dropped it. Like I, I, I don't understand that. Yeah. I, and so now I'm I'm looking at a Naughty's page on Spotify, and the top five popular ones are all just different mixes of Walking in Memphis. Ah, DJ from Mars Club original radio mix. This is the Scotty versus Rudy version. Yeah. So, we're, so we're maybe some about of them Scotty have the versus Rudy. Yeah, I'm looking through. I'm kind of just scrubbing through. I'm not. It's not in the DJs from Mars Club remix. Hmm. I don't think they do it in any yeah, of them. Yeah, the original radio mix doesn't have it. So. Yeah, it's all versions of Walking in Memphis on the popular. Um. Yeah. So. Other than that, like it's it's a competent um dance remix. Um, yeah. But but strange. Nonetheless, next week we're going to do exclusively an episode just on all these different club mixes of Walking in Memphis. And this one is three seconds longer. Ooh. Ooh But yeah, you're right. It's it's a competent dance mix. It's uh, I don't know. Is it better than uh, Scooters? I think Scooters is more memorable. Yeah, Scooter. I mean, this one doesn't have bagpipes. I will say that. Is it better? Yeah. I I don't know that I like prefer one over the other. There, because one is just like silly, but like that makes sense. It kind of doesn't fully make sense to put this song to dance remix this song, like in terms of the subject matter. Yeah. So maybe that one makes more sense, but this one's like still fine. A lot of this. Yeah. I'm not saying a dance remix has to make sense. A lot of the times say, they don't. Yeah, they don't. So. It's, this one is, but like I said, it's just kind of like passable. And but the problem with the the scooter version is that it is so much a relic of nineteen nineties <laughs> dance music. Yeah. Like it's there's so many. It's just it sounds old as shit. Yeah, this is more this, of a modern <laughs> spin, I guess. This is more modern, but it's also pretty fairly generic in its modernity. It doesn't it doesn't stand out really. Yeah, it does. Like we said, things competently, but but not necessarily notably. At least not to me. Yeah. With that, we're going to move into the final cover version. Dean Dyson in 2015. And I'm walking in my fence Walking with my feet Ten feet off a beer Walking in my fence Do I really feel the way I'm Dean 
he's I've he's, written here he's some old fuck. Yeah, he's an old guy. Um I saw a video of him like busking. Mm-hmm. So he like plays plays music on the Yeah, he's a singer songwriter from Hull. Hull. Um in Hulls. As in Hulls. Um, it this one's pretty straightforward. Um, it's it's an acoustic guitar version. He he plays an acoustic guitar and he sings. He sounds good. Yeah. He's got a good voice. Oh yeah. But that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. If you're looking for any exciting like composition, it really is just rhythm acoustic. Yeah. And an and an older guy singing this song. Yeah, and like his voice does a pretty good job of carrying this cover. Um, yeah. But I'm generally biased against just acoustic guitar covers of things. I also think the guitar is mixed really quietly on this. Yeah? Yeah. Which I get, I mean, maybe it's just meant to focus on the, on the vocals. Yeah, maybe. Um, um, did you notice that in the, uh, the security they did not see him line, he changes it to seek him? I did not notice that. I, I, it's a, a hard K. That's that's just one letter. <laughs> Only changed one letter. Yeah, so I that's mean, around one twenty. I wouldn't expect security to be looking, to be seeking Elvis's ghost. It's just yeah, I don't, I don't think that's part of their job description. But yeah, that's all I have to say about this one, really. Yeah, I have very little to say. It's an acoustic guitar cover. It's again not bad. Um, it's and. Really, the thing to to listen for is his voice, if if that's what you're into. He All sounds right. like well, somebody. That... He sounds like someone. I can't I can't think of who. His voice reminded me of some somebody. I don't know. I don't know. The, well, he is the father of the guy who invented the Dyson vacuum. So. <laughs> no, this is Dyson himself. <laughs> he invented the ball. <laughs> All right, we're going to get into our final verdict. We got three categories today. The worst version, the best version, and the version that could most easily be about Memphis, Egypt. Memphis, Egypt. All right. So what's the Alex, worst version? The worst. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's a bit sad, but I think I have to give it to Paul Anka. I just think his version just did not work for me. And there were mm. others that, like, weren't so great, but that's the only one that like fell flat and it fell flat because it tried to change it more but um kind of didn't kind of misunderstood things or didn't take things far enough right i mean we we got two musical giants on this one paul anka and Cher, and like between the two Cher does less with the song but she ends up with a better job in the end yeah although i wasn't a huge fan of hers either quite frankly no (laughs) um it's just his it's like a, a wider swing, but because of it, it's a it's a bitter miss. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. For me, I'm going to give it to the John Tesh Project. I just, you bring in those backup vocals. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't bring those backup vocals yeah, in. Yeah, maybe here. don't. Maybe don't bring in the backup vocals. Um, is the swing, Swinging wide is already missing. Is that true? Sorry, I just, I'm second guessing maybe. my... I guess because if it's you swung wide of the thing, right? It's, yeah. in, it's in reference to the object. So, yes, I suppose so. Like another definition. I think you meant to say he swung, swung big. Yeah. It's like a big swung, wind up. Swung big, but he swung wide. That's right. 
he's swung at the big and wide store, baby. It's way too many booked. There's way too many books called Swing Wide. Swing Wide. Um, Alex, the best version of this is the best version of this is what was the best version of this? Um. I'm looking over them and like none of them stood out to me as like very good. <laughs> like ver- yeah. like cover versions, you know? Like I like the original, but I didn't really think that anyone captured that all that well. I know. And brought it uh... anywhere? Like share kind of fell flat because of the the drum machine and the Dated sound, Scooter. Oh, Scooter did their own thing with it. They did. I mean, the instrumental version wasn't that great. Lone Star was fine, but it was a very basic cover. Palanca, I already gave worst to. Goot was kind of amateurish. Um. Then there's the dance remix, which, like we said, is competent but nothing special. And then Dean Dyson, which is a pretty straightforward uh, acoustic guitar cover. So honestly, I think it's Scooter. I like yeah, Alex. <laughs> I think it's got to be Scooter. I think you're right. <laughs> I agree. It's just like in terms of making it your own and being memorable. That's the they only did one both. that we talked about like, today that is any of those things. So, well, yeah. that I mean, some of them made their own, sure. But. And and it does it by being absolutely batshit insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think raving shoes are a thing. I have to imagine they're just, like, shitty shoes, because they're pretty sure your clothes can get pretty fucked up. When right, you're yeah, like things that you're willing <laughs> to get beat up. Like your old beat-up Converse. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I think it's scooter. yeah, and you get this this Buckwild decision to to I mean this song is essentially two samples and some electronic tropes of the '90s put together. Yeah, and that's it. That did it. It's got Scotland that, the Brave. It's got yeah, piano. It's got that guy singing. It's got shouting the word wicked. Yeah, and yeah, it's the best cover we it, talked about today is the best cover we talked about today. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, at that, which one of these could be about Memphis, Egypt? Oh, Memphis, Egypt. <laughs> they got pyramids over there. Sort of. They do. Not really. I mean, it's Egypt. Um, Memphis, Egypt. I'm going to say, okay. I think, if you, if you finagle it a little, Mm-hmm. The the answer is probably Cher. Just because you could like put Cher in front of a pyramid and then she's just she's singing whatever you're like it's Memphis Egypt. <laughs> yeah, I I could see Cher in front of a pyramid. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. She might as well be singing this song in there. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I want to say the the instrumental version. John, John Tesh, Tesh, Howard Levy. Only because it's, like, ambiguous enough. I think it could fit in anywhere. Yeah, truly, like, lyrically, all it says is walking in Memphis, so that could be... Yeah, so, like... Memphis, Egypt. That's really the only one. I don't don't know the music culture in Egypt, so I can't make 
any other comments, but I feel like that's that's got to be it. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll allow it. And that is our final verdict. If y'all have similar opinions, different opinions, or want to talk about a cover version we didn't talk about, like the other raving I'm raving version, hit us up on Twitter, hashtag CoverMePod, at Jake the Cressy, at some Alex Wise guy. Tell us, tell us what you think of things. What you, what you, you know, tell us stuff. You can email us at CoverMePod at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, concerns. Rate and review us on iTunes. It's been almost two years we're doing this. We had seven fucking reviews. Write something nice about us. We have seven I reviews? at the start of the episodes. Yeah, there's seven. One of them's mine. Huh. I haven't seen these. But it's just ratings. Like, it's seven oh. ratings. Are they good? Uh, yeah, it's, we, we got a five stars on iTunes. Woo! We're, uh, we're phenomenal. And we're on all your favorite podcasting apps. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, fucking Stitcher, Spotify, all these other weird ones that are popping up. Check us out. You've already checked us out. Keep doing it, though. Tell your friends to check us out. We got a bonus segment coming in hot. We've been talking about Memphis and Graceland today. Alex, what's your favorite track off the Paul Simon album, Graceland? Oh, what is my favorite track? Of Where do I even begin? Um... I'm a huge fan of Graceland, start to finish. Yeah, I, I love it. It's a phenomenal album. Um, but what's my favorite one? You know, I think... Ah, it's hard to pick. It's really hard to pick. Oh, yeah, truly. But I think at the end of the day, I one time heard that Paul Simon has said that Graceland, the song, might be the best song he ever wrote. And I think he that might. Is a good fucking. Song. I think he might be right. I think it might just be Graceland. As much as I like the rest of the album, I think the title track takes it. Yeah, you. That's yeah. That might be right. That's definitely one I will go to, like, and just listen to just that song. If I'm not listening to the whole album, I'm like, pop on Graceland yeah. for a second here. I mean, the first song I heard off of Graceland was "You Can Call Me Al." Obviously, that's Naturally. probably the more popular one, um, and that's a good time too. I dig that song. I fucking too. love that one. There's lots of good stuff on that album. But like That's when I've busted out at karaoke, so you know that's Ah. That's how you do it. Yeah. You got some closeness. Yeah, because it's it's basically white man rap. You, you don't <laughs> have to be that good at singing, so no matter how shit faced you are, as long as you remember the lyrics to You Can Call Me Al, you can knock it out pretty easy. I actually know the lyrics pretty well. Um uh, me too. So Yeah, I mean the song Graceland's just got this like really it's this good, like, traveling song. Yeah, There's it's a got a very like, traveling rhythm to yeah, it. Boom, boom. Yeah, that, that, like, the drums just going. And just, yeah. 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 That's it, man. I'm going to, I mean, you're probably right. You and Paul Simon are probably right on this. <laughs> I'm going to give it to You Can Call Me Al because it also has the legendary music video with Chevy Chase for some reason. Just, like, being there, pretending to play instruments. Not even pretending to play instruments that competently. Yeah, like just... it's, it's such a minimalist video, both in terms of their performance and what's going on in the video. It's, it's just bananas to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's our bonus segment. If y'all want to tell us your favorite song off the Paul Simon album, Graceland, hit us up. Hashtag McGraceland. <laughs> McGraceland. Ma uh, uh, spelled how? Uh, I'm going to say M-U-H for that. All right. McGraceland. McGraceland. Graceland. McGraceland. Tell, tell us how you pronounce Graceland. Yeah. Graceland? 
Grace Lund? Yeah. Grace Lind. Send us some IPA symbols that we have to Google. Yeah. Send us some IPAs. We can Google those, too. We can Google those, too. And as we always say on Cover Me, boy, you've got a prayer and cover me. <laughs>